All right, gracious be to our loving Amun that we are gathered once again to study his words. Today we'll focus on the book of Micah, and it's based on some of the questions that were asked by one of our viewers. And so let's go ahead and take a look at the questions that were posed. Uh, here it is. Good day, uh, Brother John. I attended for last Sabbath's worship service about faith over fear. Uh, true, there are so many things happening around the world. My questions are, number one, is Micah 1, 2 to 6 and Micah 6, 1 onwards refer to volcanic eruptions? As you are aware, aware of, there are many volcanic eruptions taking place in different parts of the world today. And are these volcanic activities... Do they represent God's anger to earth or to his nation? Number two, what does it mean when it says in the book of Micah, who also eat the flesh of my people? This is in Micah 3, uh, verse 3. And number three, in Micah 4, is this a repeating pattern of history or a prophecy in the near future? It mentions about the remnant and the daughter of Zion. Number four, is the daughter of Zion the same as the daughter of Jerusalem in Micah chapter 4 and the verse is 8. And so as you can see, our questions focus and take us into a study of the book of Micah. Micah was one of the prophets and the one who asked this question also submitted, submitted to us a picture or a cartoon, if you will, of what the book of Micah is all about in its essence. I want you to take a look at the cartoon before we proceed to answering the questions, if you look, um, I believe this is taken from the Bible History, no, the Bible Project, not the Bible History Project. And it talks about the book of Micah and how Micah was expounding upon the leaders and the prophets during the days of Micah and how the leaders, the religious leaders, took advantage of the people they were leading to build their wealth through theft and greed. And so you can look at the cartoon there, summarizing the book of Micah. Here is another one, the injustice of Israel's leaders, where they take advantage of the people of God and claiming ownership of the land and demanding taxes and payment even though they all belong really uh, to the people, to, 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 to that land of Israel. So in a nutshell, when we take a look at the book of Micah, it's about God's judgment concerning over Israel and Judah because the leaders have caused the people to go astray. So let's now take a look at question number one. Is Micah 1, 2 to 6 and Micah 6, 1 onwards refer to volcanic eruptions? And are these volcanic activities representative of God's anger to earth or to his nation. Oh, and so let's go ahead and take a look at Matthew or Micah, I should say, one, two down to four. Hear all you peoples, listen, O earth, and all that, it, that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, Yahuwah is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him. The valleys will split like wax before the fire, like waters pour down a steep place. And so that's what's recorded in the book of Micah, chapter 1, 2 down to 4. If you notice, there are some sentences or phrases that is used by Micah, which seem to describe quite uncannily 
the volcanic eruptions that we are aware of. For example, it mentions mountains melting, valleys splitting like wax before the fire, and waters like uh, pour down a steep place. And so when you stitch these uh, metaphors and similes and these images together, it kind of does describe volcanic eruptions, doesn't it? However, what do we need to understand about the prophets and in particular, the prophet Micah? He uses similitudes and metaphors and analogies, and he likes to paint a picture concerning what is transpiring at the moment and also concerning what is to transpire in the future as God's judgment decrease. And so I believe at least um, that this does not represent volcanic eruptions. It may appear to describe volcanic eruptions, but when we look at the context, it's about something else. So when we look at the context, what is this chapter and this passage all about? If you take a look, what we read here in Micah 1, 2 to 4 concerns Yahuwah's judgment against you. The pronoun you is used here. And so Micah is all about the you referred to here. And so we need to know, well, who is that you? When, you, when Yahuwah gave this message to Micah, who is it for? Is it for the whole world or is it for a specific group of people? We read one, two down to four. Let's read Micah one and the verses one. The word of Yahuwah that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. And so according to the context, the chapter, uh, Micah chapter one, verse one, and really the whole book of Micah centers around Samaria and Jerusalem. Do you still remember what Samaria and Jerusalem represent? They represent the center, the city, the capital city of the two houses of God, the house of Judah and the house of Israel. Samaria represented the center of the house of Israel and Jerusalem represented the center of the house of Judah. So this is God's judgment concerning the people of God. And so Micah was sent by Yahuwah to proclaim his message to the two houses of God, namely the God, the house of Judah and the house of Israel. And when did Micah perform his service? Uh, from the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. They happened to be three succeeding judges who served in the house of Judah. So based on that information, we can surmise that Micah ministered as a prophet sometime between the years 739 BC the start of the reign of Jotham, and 686 BC, the end of the reign of Hezekiah. Micah preached the judgment of God against the house of Judah and the house of Israel. And so he served and preached for a long time, right? He started in 739 BC, and take note, at this point, the house of Judah and the house of Israel were still standing because it wasn't until 722 BC that uh, the Assyrians conquered the house of Israel. And it wasn't until 600 BC that the house of Judah would eventually um, be defeated by the Babylonians. And so that's the time frame that we have. Uh, Micah 
is preaching judgment against the house of Judah and the house of Israel. Now, one might be asking, why is Yahuwah going to judge his people, house of Judah, the house of Israel, when he should be judging the rest of the world? Because after all, the rest of the world, compared to the house of Judah, the house of Israel, were even more guilty of violating the laws of God. But this is what the Apostle Peter tells us. Before we continue with the book of Micah, I just want to plant this in your mind and in your heart so that we can be prepared, so that we can all receive what we want to receive on the day of salvation. In the book of 1 Peter 4, 17 to 19, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? And so this is a warning from the apostle Peter, especially for those who belong to the house of God. You see, just because we belong to the house of God, it does not mean that we cannot be judged. Apostle Peter tells us we should not be complacent. We need to be prepared and so one of the ways that we can prepare ourselves belonging to the house of God is that we will learn from history. We will learn from the book of the prophets because they have so much to teach us and so much to tell us so that when the day comes, when Yahuwah will send his son Yahusha, we will be embraced by his salvation. And so the Bible tells us the reason why God judged the house of Judah, God judged the house of Israel and not Babylon, not Assyria, is because judgment begins where? Among the house of God. And so Yahuwah expected much from his people, but his people defied him instead of submitting to him. And so they had to be judged. And so to go back to the question in Micah chapter 1, 2 down to 4, when it mentions the metaphors which seem to describe volcanic eruptions, it represents Yahuwah treading the high places of the earth. It represents Yahuwah destroying the high places of Judah and the high places of Israel. That's what it's about. What are these high places mentioned by the Holy Scriptures that will be treaded upon, that will be destroyed by Yahuwah himself? Let's read the book of Micah 1, 5 to 6. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field, places for planting a vineyard. I will pour down her stones into the valley and I will uncover her foundations. So what are the high places of Judah? the high places of Israel that will be treaded upon, destroyed by Yahuwah, which is likened to the melting of mountains in the verbiage of the prophet Micah. Well, the house, uh, the, the high places mentioned there represents the transgression, the sin of the people of God. What is this sin likened to? What is it about? What is the high places, which is the transgression of the people of God? The Bible says, what is the transgression of Jacob? 
Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Do you see what Micah is telling us here? He's telling us the people of God. Instead of worshiping God, they worshiped materialism. They focused on the city, their capital. In this case, Samaria and Jerusalem. Instead of focusing on praising Yahuwah Abba, who blessed them with material prosperity, which is why they were able to have Samaria and Jerusalem in the first place. But their focus shifted away from Yahuwah into the pride of materialism. And so the high places, which represent transgression, they defied Yahuwah God by placing their trust in their cities, in their capital cities, their central cities, instead of looking up to Yahuwah Abba. So the high places of Israel and Judah that will be treaded or destroyed by Yahuwah represent the transgression of pride, pride in material success and prosperity. This is why Yahuwah Abba was so upset with his people. And this should also be a lesson for all of us because oftentimes in biblical history, our greatest enemy really is our success. When because God has blessed us, we begin to turn into idols, the blessings that God has given us, and we forget the blesser. We forget the one who gives us the blessing. And so we need to be, make sure we don't fall into pride. We don't fall into idolatry when we begin to worship self, when we begin to lift up ourselves and boast of our achievements and successes. What also is included in what we can call the high places of Israel and Judah, Micah 1 verse 7, all her carved images shall be beaten to pieces and all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with a fire. All her idols I will lay desolate for the, she gathered it from the pay of a harlot and they returned to the pay of a harlot. And so what also is included among the general term of high places, the high places of Judah and Israel, idolatry. So idolatry and pride, when you promote self and you become, you become boastful of your achievements and material success, that represents the high places of Judah, the high places of Israel, which will be destroyed by Yahuwah Abba. And this destruction gives you the image of a volcanic eruption. And so the book of Micah chapter one does not teach us about volcanic eruptions Rather, it teaches us, it shows us the violent end of those who worship images and those who promote themselves and boast of their material successes and achievements. The judgment against the high places of Israel and Judah. So that's question number one. Let's go to question number two. What does it mean uh, who also eat the flesh of my people in Micah 3 verse 3? That's very interesting eating the flesh of my people. What could this mean? What could this be about? Let's turn to the book of Micah. Chapter three, two down to three. You who hate good and love evil. And that's not good, right? You're supposed to hate evil and love good, right? But people of Israel, they get it reversed. And who's behind that reversal? Who do you think? Probably the devil, right? You who hate good and love Evil. Can you imagine? Yahuwah, God calls the Sabbath good, right? 
But what do people call it nowadays? Can you imagine there are some people today who call the Sabbath abominable? People who call good evil and evil good. Even the people of Israel during the time of the prophets were guilty of exactly the same thing. You who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from the bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from them, break their bones and chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. This is pretty graphic, right? Can you imagine the Bible speaking about the, the, the people and they're being uh, flayed alive. Their skin is removed. Their flesh is chopped into pieces like meat in the pot. And their flesh is thrown into the cauldron, being boiled for the caldereta. <laughs> it's being boiled. And so is this about cannibalism? Is this what the prophet Micah is talking about? No. Again, he's using imagery. In the same way he used imagery to describe the destruction of the high places of Judah and Israel, he's also using imagery to describe the injustice being done by the leaders and the rulers of the people of God. It's likened to cannibalism. It's likened to eating the flesh of his people. So what does that represent? Let's read Micah. Two, one to two to, get, to gain a better context. Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and take them by violence. Also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. And so the Bible speaks about those who have power in their hands right? And what do they do with that power? Instead of taking care of the people of God, they use that power to oppress the people. How so? They covet the fields and take them by violence. And so the rulers of, these, of the people of God, instead of taking care of the people of God, they exploit the people of God. How so? They use, they use them for forced labor, and so they make, they make them work throughout the day and night to suit and to fulfill their agendas. What else? They covet the fields and take them by violence. So by force, they force them to give. You know, so forced donations, forced labor. So they're exploiting the people of God. It's like they're eating their flesh. That's what that means. Eating, eating their flesh means they're being exploited by people who have power. And who are they? Those who have power who exploit or take advantage of the people. Let's read Micah 3 in the verses 1. And I said, hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? And so who are those who have power, but they use their power not to take care of the people of God, but to exploit them, to take advantage of them. Who are they? The heads, the rulers, the religious leaders of their time, they use their power and authority to take advantage, to eat the flesh of the people of God. So rather than serve the people of God, the religious leaders of Micah's time took advantage or exploited them through forced labor and forced giving. That is the equivalent of the imagery of 
the leaders eating the flesh of the people of God. And so what will they do? What will the people do? Book of Micah 3 verse 4, then they will cry to Yahuwah, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds. And so we have two groups of people here, those who are in power, right? And those who are being taken advantage of. The Bible says they will cry to who? Yahuwah. I mean, I would cry too. I mean, if my religious leader is taking advantage of me, is always visiting me, asking for more and more money, or maybe asking for me to do certain things. I mean, I'm already busy. I have to attend to my family. And these religious leaders are forcing me really to, to do things, even, even if it's in conflict with my schedule, under the name of God, under the name of religion, right? And so instead of, and especially nowadays when people are, they don't have, they lost their jobs, people are in poverty, and what do they do? They keep visiting you, asking for more donations, asking for offering, right? I mean, what are you going to do? Well, you probably are going to feel so weak and helpless. What can I do? So what do they do? They cry out to Yahuwah. They cry out to God. But you notice what God says here. They will cry to Yahuwah, but he will not hear them. They cry to Yahuwah, but he will hide his face from them. Why does Yahuwah not listen to their cries? Why does Yahuwah not listen to their prayers? Bible says because what they have done are evil deeds. What does that mean? Well, to give us a deeper understanding of what's happening here, we will go to the book of Jeremiah because Jeremiah and Micah are repeating and are recording the same pattern, the pattern of Micah and the pattern of Jeremiah. Truth of the matter is, Jeremiah even quotes Micah. He even cites Micah concerning the injustice taking place during the days of Judah. Micah was writing to and proclaiming the truth to both the house of Judah and the house of Israel. During the days of Jeremiah, well, Judah, during the days of Judah, the main subject was Judah, okay, during the days of Jeremiah. And so this is what Jeremiah says, and we can see here the same pattern in Jeremiah 5:27 to 29, just as a hunter fills a cage with birds, they have filled their houses with loot. That is why they are powerful and rich, why they are fat and well-fed. There's no limit to their evil deeds. They do not give orphans the rights or show justice to the oppressed. But I, Yahuwah, will punish them for these things. I will take revenge on this nation. Isn't that the same thing? What Micah was speaking about is also what Jeremiah is speaking about. About what? About the oppression of those who are weak, like the orphans, right? Like the widows, like the poor of the land. And so the religious leaders, instead of helping them, they take advantage of them. And this is why their houses are filled with loot. They become powerful and rich. They are fat and well-fed. Well, what feeds them? The flesh of the people of God, to use the verbiage of the prophet Micah. They're speaking about the same pattern, the pattern of the religious leaders taking advantage of the people that they lead. And so Yahuwah says, I will take revenge on this nation. Now, we asked the question earlier, why does Yahuwah not listen? 
to the cries of the people? Well, we find the answer in uh, Jeremiah 5, 30 to 31. A terrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. Prophets speak nothing but lies. Priests rule, priests rule as the prophets come in. And my people offer no objections. But what will they do when it all comes to an end? So why is Yahuwah upset with his people, not just the, not just the leaders, but even the people, because the people offer no what? Objections. They know something's, something wrong is taking place, but they don't say a thing. Why? Because they have been uh, taught to believe that you cannot speak against your leaders. You cannot speak against those who lead the people of God. And so they offer no objections. You know, there's nowadays, it's really sad, but there are people who complain about the religion they belong to because they are being mistreated and abused by the religious leaders, offering here, offering there, donations here, donations there. And then they're being asked to go to the chapel and you know, become officers and so many things. And they're complaining and complaining and complaining, but the problem is they're not making any objections. <laughs> If you're going to complain, why not complain to the people who are leading you? Make objections. If something is being done that is no longer appropriate, it's no longer the will of God, the Bible says, why not object to it? The Bible tells us we should. If injustice is taking place, objections should be made. And Yahuwah Abba is really upset when justice is perverted and the people do nothing. Why were the people of Israel, the people of Judah, convinced nothing is wrong. Nothing is happening that's against the will of Abba. What do they feed the people? You know, these religious leaders, what do they tell them to convince the people everything is fine? Well, let's go back to the book of Micah, chapter 3, and the verses 5. Thus says Yahuwah concerning the prophets, religious leaders, who make my people stray, who chant, what do they chant? Peace. While they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him, who puts nothing into their mouths. The Bible says the prophets, the religious leaders, they work together. And all they proclaim and chant is what? Peace. Everything's fine. We are still the people of God. We are at peace with God. We belong to the nation of God. So there's no, don't complain. There's nothing to object to. We are still going to be saved. Again, that pattern in Micah is found also in Jeremiah. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 7. Stop believing those deceitful words. We are safe. This is Yahuwah's temple. This is Yahuwah's temple. This is Yahuwah's temple. <laughs> Repeat it three times, right? We're safe. This is Yahuwah's temple. We are the nation of God. We are the nation of God. We're the nation of God. That's what they're basically saying, right? Change the way you were living and stop doing the things you were doing. Be fair in your treatment of one another. Stop taking advantage of aliens, orphans, and widows. Stop killing innocent people in this land. Stop worshiping other gods, for that will destroy you. If you change, I will let you go on living here in the land, which I gave your ancestors as a permanent possession. And so the same pattern found in Micah is also found where? Jeremiah, right? These people who are 
living off their followers, eating their flesh, taking advantage of them. What are they saying to convince the people to keep following them? We belong to Yahuwah's temple. In other words, they're saying, we are the people of God. And then they look, they, they, they take your, your focus to the temple, right? To the successes of the people. And so they say, we are still the people of God because look at all of our accomplishments. Look at all of our building projects. Look at how many people we are able to convert. And so they point to and highlight these material signs of prosperity and say, we are safe. We are at peace. We still belong to the people of God. But the Bible says, who says, be careful. Stop taking advantage of aliens, orphans, and widows. Stop oppressing them. Stop exploiting them. Why does Yahuwah say this? 7, 8 to 11. Look, you put your trust in deceitful words. You steal, murder, commit adultery, tell lies under oath, offer sacrifices to Baal, and worship gods that you had not known before. You do these things I hate, and then you come and stand in my presence, in my own temple, and say we are safe? Do you think that my temple is a hiding place for robbers? I have seen what you were doing. What the prophet Jeremiah is describing there is what we call hypocrisy. And this, this is what we find many religions today. They say, if you belong, if you belong to our religious group, you know, God will forgive you. You're going to be saved. But if you're outside our religious group, you're not going to be saved. And so they're saying, even if you're doing what is wrong, even if you're committing sin, so long as you belong to our religious God, he said, oh, you're safe. But Yahuwah says, no, it's not about where you belong to. It's also about what you're doing. Because the Bible says you put trust, you do not put trust in deceitful words. You say that you are in the temple, but you steal, you murder, you commit adultery, you tell lies under oath. And then you stand in the presence of Yahuwah. Yahuwah God says, you come into my own temple and say, we are safe. Do not think my temple is a hiding place for robbers. Yahuwah says, I see what you are doing. In other words, what Jeremiah and Micah, what they're telling us is this. Brethren, we must not be deceived by the words of religious leaders who will tell you that for you to be saved, you need to be in this physical temple. You need to be in this religion. You need to be in a specific place. And so if you are in that specific place, it doesn't matter what you do. The Bible says, do not be swayed or strayed by deceitful words. And so what does Micah do? When all these people are believing the false prophets and the false religious leaders, what does Micah do? Micah 3, 8 to 9. But truly, I am full of power by the spirit of Yahuwah and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity. And so when the prophets, the religious leaders, and the people were united, united in what? United in sinning against God. United in focusing on material prosperity instead of spiritual values. There was one man who stood up. What's his name? Micah. You know, we see this pattern all the time. 
when the people of God unite to do what is wrong, and there's always a one person. In this case, Micah. Before that, it was Amos. And also after that, we have Jeremiah, right? And they declared the sin of Israel. They declared the sin of Judah. When everyone else are united in doing that sin, the person of God, filled by the spirit of Yahuwah, they will stand and declare to Israel and to Jacob their sin. That was Micah. And what does Micah say concerning them? Let's read Micah 3, 10, 12, who build up Zion with bloodshed, Jerusalem with iniquity. He doesn't mince words, does he? Her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on Yahuwah and say, is not Yahuwah among us? No harm can come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. What does Micah say concerning the religious leaders and also the false prophets during this time? He said, all of you are basically um, working for pay. And so they take bribes. And so they're not really proclaiming and teaching the word of God. They're not feeding the flock. They're taking advantage of the flock. What else? The Bible says, they will say to the people, is not Yahuwah among us? God is with us. We're the only true church. Of course, God is with us. We're the only true religion. Outside this religion, is only the lake of fire. That's the same message that we get today, is it not? No harm can come, up, can come upon us if we belong to this religion. And that's also what we hear even today. But Micah says no. That's not, that's not how it works. And so, brethren, any religion that takes advantage of its people instead of serving the people, that's a religion that is against the justice set up by Yahuwah Abba himself. So we need to be careful of religions like this. What else? Uh, question number three. Uh, in Micah 4, is this a repeating pattern of history or a prophecy in the near future. It mentions about the remnant and the daughter of Zion. Well, uh, before we go ahead and look into Micah chapter 4, we know that most prophecy is actually pattern. Patterns that repeats that repeat itself, right? And so what do we need to learn? We need to learn from the pattern. So if the pattern leads to destruction, what do we do? We change the pattern. If the pattern leads to blessing, what do we do? We copy the pattern. You see it? That's the purpose of prophecy, to teach us so that we can learn from it. That's the purpose of the Old Testament as well, so that we can learn from its pattern, so that we can keep what is good and reject what is not good. And so if we look at the pattern of prophecy in the book of Micah, there are already many, right? What's, number, what's one of them? People of God taking pride in the high places or in material accomplishments. Isn't this pattern repeating itself as well? When people boast about, about their accomplishments, when they take pride in how many members they have, how many chapels they built, there are people who are like that today, right? It's a pattern. What else? Number two, religious leaders taking advantage of their members through forced labor and forced giving. And they make you feel guilty if you can't attend one of their functions, even if it, you, know, you have a, an appointment at school with your son or your daughter. 
And then you will say to them, I cannot attend this religious function because my son and daughter has a meeting in school. And they will tell you, what's more important, the church or your son, right? God over family, God over family. They make you guilty. And so you forget that meeting with your, with, with a, with your son and you begin to forsake your family, right? And so they're forcing people to work, forcing people to give because they're using, they're using their authority and religious power to do so. Religious bullies, really. Number three, what else? Well, another pattern. Religious leaders claiming their material success and prosperity as proof that they are still of God. You know, a lot of people use this a lot. You know, we were able to make it to Africa, Antarctica, South America. We are in all over the world. We are the people of God. Is that proof that you belong to the people of God? No. In fact, it's quite the opposite, right? What else? Number four, the people of God do not object uh, or, or and permit the religious leaders to continue to oppress, to oppress them. Yeah, the, the people of God, they, they're afraid to oppose what the religious leaders have to say. And so there's this division between clergy and follower and layman, laity, right? So whatever the clergy says, amen, like blind followers, they don't test what the clergy says. Amen, amen, amen. What does that say? Obey and never, <laughs> right? And so that pattern is in Micah. That pattern is in Jeremiah. And that pattern is alive today. What else? Another pattern. God judges his people. He will judge his people. As a matter of fact, he will judge his people first. But he will always leave behind what? Yeah. That's a pattern that's repeated again and again throughout scripture. So let's go to Micah for one to two. What is this about? Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of Yahuwah's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and the people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of Yahuwah, to the house of God, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion, the law shall go forth and the word of Yahuwah from Jerusalem. So here's the prophet Micah and he's speaking about the latter days. And so Micah 1, 2, 3, speaking about Jerusalem, Judah, Samaria, Israel, during his days. And then he jumps forward because he is a prophet. <laughs> and he tells about the latter days. And when are these latter days he's speaking about? He's speaking about a time when the people of Yahuwah will lead many nations. When all the people will go to the mountains, they're in Jerusalem. And during this time... The Bible says that the God, the house of the God of Jacob will teach all the people, many nations, about the law and the ways of Abba. Now, there are those who say the law is no longer applicable. Brethren, we are talking about the latter days here. We're talking about the millennial kingdom. This is what Micah 4 is about. When you read Micah chapter 4, it's about what's going to happen. When Yahuwah restores his kingdom, when the millennial kingdom will be fulfilled in Israel. Israel will be the center. And during this time of the millennial kingdom, 
What does Micah tell us? Micah tells us what was happening during his time is going to be different compared to what's going to happen in the millennium. The millennium, it says, he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his path for out of Zion, the law, 10 commandments, shall go forth and the word of Yahuwah from Jerusalem. Who is that word of Yahuwah? Yahushua, HaMashiach. And so this is like a, a prophecy of what's about to happen in the latter days. That's what Micah chapter four is all about. And in the millennium, right, what, what will happen to the other nations? Well, let's keep reading three down to four. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of Yahuwah of hosts has spoken. And so this is good news, right? What Micah is describing here is very different from the days during his time. During his time, there's a lot of wars taking place. Syria, Babylon, and other kingdoms fighting it out against each other. But the time will come in the millennial kingdom when they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. They will not learn war because there will be no more wars. You know why? Because there's going to be one ruler. And this ruler is going to rule with a rod of iron. Who is that? Yahusha. It's going to be his government. The government of Abba given to Yahusha. And so there's no war because those who will defy Yahusha, they're going to be taken care of with a, with a rod of iron, right? And so that's how peace is going to be established. No more, there's no more swords. And the Bible says everyone will sit under his vine and under his fig tree. This depicts a time, not just of peace, but also prosperity. And none of them will be afraid. And so during the millennial kingdom, we will enjoy the four freedoms. What are the four freedoms? Freedom from ignorance, because the Bible says he will teach us, right? He will teach us his ways and his laws. Oh, but brother, isn't the law of God already abolished? No, it's not. He will teach his laws. Freedom from war. No one will learn war anymore. Freedom from war. Everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Freedom for, from fear. No one shall make them afraid. And so this is what will reign during the millennial kingdom as described by the prophet Micah. What also shall we enjoy? Micah, four down to five, for all people uh, walk each in the name of his God. But we, people there, we will walk in the name of Yahuwah, our God, forever and ever. And so in the millennial kingdom, we're going to proclaim the name of Yahuwah. And we're going to proclaim the name of his son. Without persecution. Now, if we proclaim his name, we get persecuted. Right? We proclaim the name of Yahushua, we get persecuted. But in the millennial kingdom, that is what's going to reign. We will walk freely. We will walk in the name of Yahuwah and in the name of Yahushua. HaMashiach. Now, who will be included? Who are going to enjoy 
this peace and prosperity be filled with knowledge in the name of Yahuwah. Well, let's go ahead and keep reading 6 down to 7. In that coming day, says Yahuwah, I will gather together those who are lame, those who have been exiles, and those whom I have filled with grief. Those who are weak will survive as a remnant. Those who were exiles will become a strong nation. Then I, Yahuwah, will rule from Jerusalem as her king forever. So the Bible says and describes for us the composition of the people, the daughter of Zion. Because when we think of the daughter of Zion, it can re refer to different things. It can refer to what will happen to the people of God in general during the millennial kingdom. Okay, so during the millennial kingdom, the daughter of Zion will be composed of exiles, remnants of the past, remnants, people who have defied their religious leaders because what they were doing wrong. That's why you have a remnant. You get a remnant because the majority left God and God sided with the, the weak, the remnant. And so the remnant represents those who are small in number, represents those who are weak. Yahuwah God will gather all the remnants together. From different parts of the world, including those who will come from the islands of the sea. And time will come when these remnants, these who are weak in number, weak in power and authority, Yahuwah will gather them together and they will become a strong nation. This will be fulfilled during the millennial kingdom. Right now, uh, the remnants are beginning to gather from different parts of the world. We are being governed by one spirit. As we elevate the name of Abba, the name of Yahusha, and the name or the, the law of Yahuwah, Abba. You can see the movement of the Spirit of God all over the world are bringing us together. Because it's going to climax on that coming day when we will break through the gates. And we'll talk more about that later on. Now let's go to question number four. Is the daughter of Zion the same as the daughter of Jerusalem, Micah 4.8? Yes, uh, when we speak of Micah chapter 4, we are talking about the millennial kingdom. And in that millennial kingdom, the daughter of Zion will kind of act, will act like a watchtower. They will represent um, the standard that they will teach will be the word of God, the law of God. And the daughter of Zion, the daughter of, of Jerusalem, will represent the kingdom. The kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. And so to get... The kingdom during the millennium, what's going to happen is the kingdom during the days of old were, is going to be destroyed and conquered. This is why you get a daughter, a daughter of the kingdom, a daughter of Zion, because Zion is conquered. Zion is no more. And so you have a daughter, right? There's going to be a remnant of the daughter. And this is what the prophets are speaking about in the latter days. Since Micah 4.8 speaks about the latter days, the daughter of Zion referred to there and the daughter of Jerusalem represent the remnant of God's people in these last days who will go to Jerusalem and rule together with Mashiach. But before this happens, before Micah continues on with his prophetic vision and message, He's going to first say what's going to happen in the immediate future. What he was talking about in Micah 4, 1 and 7 was about the far future, in the latter days. Now he's going to talk about the near future. What is that? 4, 9 to 10. Uh, now, why do you cry aloud? 
Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city. You shall dwell in the field. And to Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered. There Yahuwah will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. And so in Micah chapters 1, 2, and 3, he prophesied about the fall of Israel. In 4, 9, and 10, he's not prophesying about the fall of Judah. They're going to be taken where? To Babylon. They're going to be captives in Babylon. And they're going to cry, we have no king. That's because if you're a captive in Babylon, you no longer have a king. Right? And so this is going to happen first before the millennial kingdom comes. And so while this is happening, what should be transpiring? The people of God should be learning from the pattern of prophecy. Because the reason why they got into this mess in the first place, into captivity, is because they did not learn the pattern of prophecy. What Micah taught, the people did not learn. And so Jeremiah repeated the same pattern of Micah, told them about Micah, and told them, how come you didn't follow Micah, now you're not following me. Because Jeremiah came after Micah. So Micah prophesied, Israel fell. Jeremiah prophesied, Judah fell. They did not learn the pattern of prophecy. And so what was that pattern again? Right, people of God taking pride in high places. Religious leaders taking advantage of the members. Religious leaders claiming material success. And so there's this trend to materialism that we find Throughout the kingdoms of God's people, Judah, Judah and uh, Israel, they were driven towards materialism and idolatry. What else? People of God not objecting. They just say amen, even though there's gross injustice and the pattern of God judging his people and leaving a small remnant. This pattern is always present in Isaiah. It's present in Micah, it's present. In Jeremiah, it's present. During these days, it's what is unfolding before our eyes. So what do we need to do? We need to learn this pattern. How do you learn from this pattern? Well, you don't, you don't repeat the pattern that leads to captivity. Instead, you break that pattern. And while you break that pattern, what should we do? When we break the pattern that leads to captivity, we receive the salvation of God. Well, how do you break that pattern? And how, what is the solution so that you don't repeat this pattern of prophecy that leads to captivity? Well, let's go back to the passage we read earlier. Remember in 1 Peter 4, 17 to 19, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Remember this passage we read earlier? You know, when I read this passage, it brought a lot of concern in my mind, in my heart. And it should also bring the same response from you, right? I mean, when you look at this passage, it doesn't tell us instant salvation, does it? It doesn't tell us if you belong to this religion, this group, you're going to be saved. No. The Bible says judgment begins where? At the house of God. Do we want the judgment of God? No, we don't. And so what do we need to do? We need to learn from prophecy. 
We need to break the pattern that leads to captivity. We need to break the pattern that leads to the judgment of God. Because the Bible says, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? And so what do we do? Once we break that pattern, what do we need to do? What's the solution? So that we find salvation instead. Therefore, ah, it's a good thing there's a therefore, right? In other words, this is what we need to follow. If we follow this, we're going to be good. You get that? And so we want to avoid the pattern that leads to destruction. When you place your trust in religious leaders, when you keep saying amen, amen, and, and amen to whatever they tell you without testing what they want to say, this is the therefore. This is what God wants us to follow. This is it. What is it? Therefore, the Bible says, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And so what does Yahuwah Abba want us to do? So the judgment will not befall upon us. The Bible says, commit our souls to who? Our religious leader. Is that what it says? No, 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 no. Commit your soul to who? To your creator. Not to a created man. To your creator, Yahuwah Allahim. Commit yourself to him. And to do what he wants you to do, which is good, right? This is why during these last days, brethren, do not pledge your loyalty to a man. Do not say you are one with this man. No, you say you're one with Yahuwah Abba and his beloved son, Yahusha HaMashiach. Not many people can do that. Many people would rather side with the majority because if they side with the minority, what's going to happen? They're going to suffer. They're going to suffer persecution, ridicule, mockery, right? The small remnant, they're going to make fun of you. The majority is going to make fun of the small remnant because they're small. But the Bible says that those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. You see, even if we're small, but if we are committed to do what God wants, not what the majority wants, not what religious leaders want, but to what God wants. If we will do that, we're in good standing. You know why? Let's go back to Micah 4, 11 to 12. Now also many nations have gathered against you who say, let her be defiled and let our eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of Yahuwah, nor do they understand his counsel, for he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. And so the Bible says those who belong to the remnant, those who are left, those who are weak in the exiles, when Yahuwah gathers them together, there will be many who will go against them. Many nations, many enemies. But the Bible says those who go against his remnant group, the Bible says they do not understand the thoughts of Yahuwah. And so what will Yahuwah do? He will gather, he will gather the enemies together. And it'll be like sheaves to be treaded upon on the threshing floor. In other words, the small remnant is going to thresh these mountains and beat them small, according to the book of Isaiah. And so, brothers and sisters, we want to make sure we are included, not among those who forsake Yahuwah, not the majority, but the remnant, the daughter of Zion. And what does Yahuwah God tell the daughter of Zion, the remnant of the daughter of Zion to do? Let's keep reading 4.13. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, 
for I will make your horn iron and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their gain to Yahuwah and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. Bible says, arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. Who is that? The uh, remnants of God's people in these last days. Yahuwah God is gathering us together, right? But we're small. You notice the command, arise and thresh. Can we do that now? Not yet. You see, before arising and threshing comes the gathering first. Yahuwah is gathering us together now. And we can sense this work of Yahuwah gathering his remnant people from different parts of the world. He's gathering now. And after the gathering takes place, arise and thresh is what follows next. These, the small remnant, they will arise and thresh. And once Yahuwah enables them to do that, what will they be able to do? The Bible says he will beat in pieces many peoples. This will take place in the millennium. Millennial kingdom. You see, the remnant who belong to the daughter of Zion, they will rule together with the king on the, during the, the reign of the millennial kingdom. Well, who are they? And who will be the one to lead them? Let's go back to Malachi chapter 2, because uh, to Micah, I mean, because Micah chapter 2 adds a detail I did not include yet. But let's go to that now. Micah chapter 2, 12 to 13. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. They shall make a loud noise because of so many people. So they're going to grow, right? The one who breaks open will come up before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. Their king will pass before them with Yahuwah at their head. That's amazing. Before we can fulfill the command to arise and thresh, there has to be the one who will tell us that in the first place, the coming of the king. And what will this king do? He will break open. And we will be allowed to pass through the gate. This is what we are waiting for. When the king prophesied here will come and he will lead the small remnant to pass through the gate because the one who will break it open is who? The king, not us. We're just small remnant, right? Bunch of exiles, bunch of expelled ones. We're, we can't do that. All we're simply doing now is gathering ourselves together, assembling ourselves together and preparing for battle. And that battle will take place when the king prophesied here will finally come here. Who do you think that king is? The one who will break open the gates. Who is that king? With Yahuwah at their head. And so we have Yahuwah at the very top. You have the king and then you have the small remnant. The remnant of the daughter of Zion, right? Well, who is his king? Micah 5, 2 to 3. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. 
then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. So who is that one king? The Bible mentions who will break forth the gates and the remnants will enter the promised land the, to establish the millennial kingdom. It's the one ruler of Israel who will come from where? Bethlehem. Does that ring a bell? Who was the one who was born in Bethlehem again? Yeah, Yahushua HaMashiach. He's the one ruler mentioned in Micah chapter 2 who will gather the remnants together and they will rule with a rod of iron. This is why, brethren, if we want to break the prophecy that leads to captivity, we must embrace the prophecy and the commandment of our king. Yahusha and our creator Yahuwah, right? And so we pledge allegiance to Yahuwah and we listen to the voice of Yahusha. What is that? Let's listen to the final passage of our studies today. Revelation 2, 26, 27. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end. To them, I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. And so those who will rule together with the one who will come from Bethlehem, Yahushua HaMashiach. We have to be victorious. How can we be victorious? We obey him, Yahushua, until the very end. It may not be an easy thing to do, especially nowadays when we are persecuted. Can you imagine people who mock us because we observe the Sabbath? And Yahushua says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Right? People who mock us because we use the Hebrew name of Abba and the Hebrew name of his son, Yahusha. They mock us because we observe the law of Yahuwah Abba. They say it's obsolete. Some even say the Sabbath is an abomination. But do not let them cause you to fall astray. Heed the voice of Yahusha until the end. And if we will do this, we will be victorious. And if we are victorious, we will rule together with Yahusha to fulfill the prophecy in Micah so that when Yahusha returns as king, we shall be together with him to bring about the millennial kingdom of peace and prosperity or the law of Yahuwah, the Ten Commandments and the Sabbath will be guiding lights as we lead the people who are within the kingdom. This is why, brethren, let us heed the voice of Abba. Let us heed the voice of Yahusha until the end. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting and most holy Abba, Yahuwah Alahim, thank you so much for you have blessed us with wisdom today. You have given us your words, the prophecies of old, to serve as a guiding light, a pattern that we need to learn from. Father, we know we have to make sacrifices. Willing to do that because you are so worth it, even if we lose our life. To gain you is to gain everything. We want to have fellowship with you. Have mercy upon your sons and daughters. Remember each and every one of us here during times of great struggle. Manifest yourself. Be by our side. Hold our hearts within your hands and help us to feel deep fellowship with you 
that will inspire and strengthen us. Our loving Mashiach Yahushua, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We pledge loyalty to you, not in any man here on earth, but to you. Yahushua, we love you. You love us. This is what inspires us. And so we will keep going. We want to be with you, especially on that day when you appear. Please bless your servants throughout the world. As Abba begins to gather us together one by one, may you dwell and make as your home our hearts. Be in our midst, especially when we assemble as a congregation together. Father, thank you for listening to our prayers. Bless our works because our work is to testify of you and to testify of your son. We ask and beg everything loving Abba. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.